This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. I want to thank you all for giving me some time away. People have asked me, did you have a good time away? I did. I appreciate Aaron preaching. I know he did an amazing job for Mike Davis and Dan for taking Wednesday and Mike Brooks for Sunday, for Sunday school. It was just, it's good to me. You have gifted people who will come in and live out their giftedness like we talked about in Sunday school this morning. And you know, it was a good time off, but it's good to be back. And I love to preach and talk about the Word of God. And as we now move toward the end of the book of Revelation, we've called this series The Rest of the Story. And so we're now in the last two chapters and we're literally going to be talking about the rest of the story. The rest of the story. And you know, when you were growing up, your parents or some family member or friend told you stories. And when I was growing up, some of those stories invariably ended and they lived happily ever after. And we enjoy those kind of stories. We like to know that as characters in fiction go through difficult adventures and struggle and sacrifice, that eventually they come to the end and everything is resolved and they live happily ever after. We like that. It makes us feel good. I went to see a movie a few years ago. An adventure movie, and it was amazing. And the thing about it is, all the characters died at the end of the movie. And I tell you, I walked out feeling kind of ripped off a little bit. That's not how things are supposed to end. You say, but pastor, that's, that's a new thing they do. I don't care. Because you and I were created to look for that happy ending. You and I were created to look for something better. You and I were created to long for solution and resolve. As a matter of fact, C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, had this to say about heaven and about eternity, because we're going to talk about heaven. He says, if I find myself in, he says, if I find within myself, rather, a desire which no experience in, in the world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You know, as we go through life and we long for things to work out, we go through experiences and we want them to make us happy. I mean, we go on vacations, we travel, we go to Disney World and we go to Epcot and we go to all the different worlds, we go watch ball games, we go to the beach, we go to the mountains. Why? Because we want to have a good time. We want to get away from it all. We want something that's going to refresh us and, and revive us. We want things to work out. We want things to be happy. And it's because within us, we were created with that desire. We were created to desire something better, even something perfect. Along those lines, Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes in chapter 3 and verse 11 said this. He said he has made everything beautiful in its time. And certainly the first nine or ten verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 talks about sowing and reaping, loving and hating, uh, giving and taking. It talks about the different contrasts in life and how life is full of good and difficult, triumphs and troubles. But he said, and technically all things, all things are good in their time. And he has made everything beautiful in its time. But listen to this. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts. As C.S. Lewis said, when you have that feeling that no experience can seem to satisfy, you have that yearning in your heart that no amount of material possessions or relationships can, can, can make right, it's because you and I seek something that is better and beyond this world. We have been programmed, we've been created with eternity in our hearts. And when we think of eternity, what do we think of? Well, we think of heaven. As a matter of fact, we talk about going to heaven often. We tell people that we want them to know that they're going to heaven. When we die, we're going to heaven. When our loved ones pass, they go to heaven. Have you ever stopped and asked yourself, what is heaven? 
Now, when I talk to people about heaven and I think, what do you think heaven's going to be like? I get all kinds of answers. For instance, if you talk to my wife and say, Susan, what do you think heaven's going to be like? She says, it's going to be full of beautiful little animals and cats. <laughs> Let me tell you something. If I die and open my eyes and I'm staring at a cat, I don't think I'm going to be in heaven. But we all talk about, oh, in heaven it's going to have this, and oh, in heaven this is going to be there, and that's going to be there. Listen, over the next two or three chapters as we finish the book of Revelation, we're going to demonstrate that as the Bible displays heaven and more accurately eternity, it's going to be something beyond what you've ever thought of. When we think of heaven, we think of eternity, we have all these thoughts. And more often than not, like the graphic on the screen shows, oftentimes Hollywood and, and culture thinks of heaven as this big, white, clouded, puffy place where everything is white and puffy and we all sit around in white robes and we strum on harps. Woohoo! okay? That sounds exciting, doesn't it? You mean I'm going to sit for eternity on a cloud playing a harp? I don't think so. As a matter of fact, as we start making our way through these last chapters, you're going to see that, and hopefully you're going to see that eternity and what we think of as heaven is not going to be anything that you think or imagine. And we see all of these stories out there of these people who died and had near-death experiences and they go to heaven and they described it. I'm going to tell you something very, very clearly. They just don't get it right because generally it doesn't jibe with the revealed truth of Scripture. I don't know what they saw. I'm not going to argue with their experience. But what I'm going to do, hopefully, is portray fr from the Scriptures and show you what eternity is actually going to be like. And it's going to be better than anything you and I can imagine. The rest of the story is that we will live happily ever after through Jesus Christ as our Savior. And so as we jump into this, take your Bibles and join me in Revelation chapter 21 beginning in verse 1. So what will eternity be like? What will heaven be like? What's it going to be like to live forever with Christ and, 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 and to worship Him? Well, the best thing to do is go find somebody who's been there and ask them. If I want to know what a restaurant is like, I'll go find somebody and ask them, well, what is it like? Or if somebody has seen a movie and I'd like to see it, I'll say, well, tell me, have you seen it? What's it like? I don't have time for people who want to tell me what stuff is like and they've never been there and they've never seen it. Well, I hear it's this way. I don't want to hear what you've heard. I hear the same thing. I hear the movie's good and I go see it, it's terrible. I hear the restaurant is bad and I go to it, it's good. I, I don't want to hear what you've heard. So let's go and find somebody that has actually been to heaven, has had heaven and eternity revealed to them, and see what it's going to really be like. And I think it's amazing. And I think it's going to rock a few worlds because I don't think we're prepared for the amazing splendor that God has revealed through Scripture here in Revelation. And we have been through, listen, we've been through 20 chapters of judgment and difficulty and drama. And now we finally come to what we're coming to. So we're going to ask John. God chose to reveal Christ to John. And not only did he choose to reveal Christ, that's why the book is called The Revelation of Jesus Christ. He reveals to John the, the, the home that Christ promised to prepare for us. Remember in John 14, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. He said earlier, in my Father's house are many mansions. So he already gives us a sort of a, a taste but John is going to now unfold the banquet. And even, even in our human imaginations, we struggle to understand it. So let's ask the question, what does John see? Well, let's look at the first few verses here in Revelation 21. And Aaron has already quoted this. Now it says, John, now it says in verse 21, now I saw. First, we look at what did John see? And again, we're going to somebody who's been there, who's seen it spiritually. He said, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. And so as we read this, we see, first of all, that John says he sees a new and unending world. 
When we think of heaven, we think of the puffy, white, cloudy place. And listen, when a loved one or a friend or one of us who know Christ passes away, we do go to be immediately with the Lord. And what that experience is like, I cannot stand up here and tell you that. I don't know. I just know when I'm with the Lord, I'm going to be okay. It's going to be good. Paul said in Philippians 1, I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But he said, it's better right now for me to stay here and and minister and serve with you. So I don't know what our loved ones are experiencing right now, but I know that one day at the end of the story, at the end of the judgment, at the end of the millennium, at the end of all this time, God is going to take everything that we see, everything that we know, and he's going to renew it, refresh it, and change it completely. As Aaron said in his In his reflection time, he is going to make all things new. And again, it goes back to what I was talking about earlier. Because we have this desire for something better, not just better, but oftentimes we have the desire for the best. That's what we're feeling. We're looking forward to when God is going to give us perfection and the best in this new and unending world. In other words, everything that you and I see, remember through those seven years of struggle and judgment and difficulty, God is just basically going to tear this planet apart. We talk about global warming and climate change that's going to destroy this planet. You know, we should be good stewards of the creation God has given us, but global warming and climate change is not going to destroy this planet. God will. And then God's going to recreate it. In a way that will bring him glory. He's going he's to remake it. Not only that, but it's going to be restored back to the way he intended it. If you read through the book of Genesis and the creation account, in the six days of creation, he ended each act by saying, and God said, it is good. Before Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, it was an ideal place, a paradise, we call it. And God is going to restore what he originally intended. God is going to create a new heavens and a new earth. We love new things. When we were children, we liked getting new toys, new clothes. And quite frankly, as we're adults, that doesn't change, does it? The toys and clothes just get more expensive. But there's nothing like a new car. I don't think I've ever owned a brand new car. But even they'll take a used car and make, you know, they have some sort of spray, I think. They spray in it. It's new car spray. That makes it smell good. I like it when I close a car door. It doesn't make noise for 10 minutes. Okay? You know, we want new things. We like new experiences. We want new toys. Well, God is going to grant one day when he's going to give us a new world. Remade and restored. And it's going to be an unending world. It's going to be an eternal world. As a matter of fact, when we speak of heaven, and I understand that's part of our parlance, part of our language, sometimes it's better to speak of eternity. Eternity is no tomorrow and no yesterday. Eternity is the forever now. You and I can't understand eternity because we were created within time. Time was a creation of God. And so constantly time is fleeting, time is going by. We can't grab a hold of now because now is gone. So we're going to be living in a new world, unending world, remade, restored. Notice in one sense it gives people pause. Also there will be no more sea. You won't be going to the beach in eternity. Oh no, pastor. And some people actually get upset about it, but you've got to understand something about this new heaven and new earth. It's not being created for us. It's being created for God so that he might inhabit with us. And the idea is you and I are going to be new as well. And we're not going to be sitting there worrying about, oh, I want to go to the beach, but there is none. I want to go fishing, but there are no fish in the sea because there's no sea. This is God's new heaven. And I'm going to tell you something. We're going to be happy with that. We're going to be thrilled with the creation that God has given us. 
And we're not going to be able to get into the description much this week, but next week we're going to lay out the description of what this new environment is going to be like. And I'll tell you what, there's not a puffy white cloud in sight. So he's created for us or recreated a brand new and unending world. Not only that, but he's going to allow us to live in a new and unfathomable city. Look what he continues to say. He says in verse 2, Then I, John, saw. Again, John is seeing this. First-hand account. Then I, John, saw the holy city. New Jerusalem. New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And so God not only is providing a new world, but he's going to give us a new city. You remember in John 14 again where he says, I go to prepare a place for you. My father has in his house many mansions. And as we get into the description next week, we're going to see that this new Jerusalem, the word Jerusalem is an interesting word. It's a word in Hebrew, Yerushalom, it means city of peace. And Jerusalem has been anything but peaceful for the last 4,000 years. Jerusalem has been anything but peaceful. That's why there's a necessity for a new Jerusalem. God is going to allow this city, as we're going to see, he's going to bring it right directly down from heaven and place it on this new, new earth. And within that city, we will abide and we will live. And it will be truly, it will live up to its name, a city of peace. And we will live there together. Again, not a cloud in sight, not a harp in sight. It's going to be an amazing place and an amazing thing. So as we, as we begin to unpack John's vision, we see that there is going to be a new world, a new wonderful city. And as we continue on, we not only get involved in what John saw, but also what John hears. And he's going to focus on some pronouncements, and we're going to see that before we get to the description. That's next uh, couple of weeks. So John hears, and he's heard angelic voices, and he's heard the voice of God all through the book of Revelation. Again, that's why Revelation is so important because it gives us from God's lips to our ears the truth about the end of the story, the rest of the story. And so God, again, is revealing to John what is coming. And we see the words of an angel first. Notice what it says as we pick it up in verse 3. He says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. What is a tabernacle? Isn't that one of those big churches in Utah? No, no. The word tabernacle is just a big word which means tent or dwelling. As a matter of fact, the Jews, when they escaped Egypt, they worshipped in a tabernacle before they ever had a temple. It was a tent. It was simply a makeshift dwelling. It was a place where people could come together under a makeshift type of shelter where they could fellowship together and have community together. He said, I heard a loud voice from heaven. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And notice this, and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people. In other words, as we look at eternity, according to the voice John heard, and we surmise that it was the voice of an angel because the distinction is going to be made a little bit later. He says that there will be a new and eternal community with God. Now, understand this. We have a community with God in a sense. When you and I get saved, God's Spirit comes to indwell in us and live in us. God never leaves us. He never abandons us. If you know Christ as Savior, you are in, in, in a relationship with God. He is there with you always. Which is why sometimes, and I'm guilty of doing this too, we pray prayers like, Lord, be with me today. Well, if you're a believer, He's not going to leave you. He's always going to be with you. If you know Christ as Savior, you're sealed with the Spirit of God. That's why we talk about the rapture or the catching away of the church because the Bible reveals in the books of Thessalonians that when before the judgment or tribulation time comes and the Antichrist is revealed, he must pull out his spirit. He must take his spirit out of the world. Well, guess what? He's, he's sealed us with his spirit. So if the spirit goes, we go with him. 
God promised as he sealed it that he would never leave us or forsake us. And so when God removes the influence of his spirit from the world to release the evils of the tribulation period, we go with him. But in a spiritual sense, we commune with God. We have a relationship through Christ with God. When we trusted Christ, he became our father. Christ became our brother, our joint heir, and we became children of the king. Now, as we yield to him and as we walk with him in this life, we then can experience, to some extent, fellowship with God. As we pray and as we read his word and as we surrender to his will and yield to him as, his, as our Lord, we have fellowship with him. It is possible to have a relationship with God and struggle with the fellowship with God, just like in your own life. If you're married or you have friendships, you might have a relationship with that person, but maybe you had an argument, maybe you had a disagreement, maybe you got too busy, maybe you got distracted and that fellowship isn't there. How come you don't call me? How come you don't come and sit with me? Why don't we do things together and you hear that kind of thing? And it's kind of the way it is as we walk with the Lord. If you know Christ, you have a relationship with him. That does not change. But as we go about our life as believers, our fellowship with God grows deeper and more rich as we go to him in prayer, as we open his word and let him talk to us, as we surrender to his revealed will for our lives and move forward. That's why Paul said at the end of 1 Thessalonians, he said, pray without ceasing. Keep that fellowship going. But here's the thing. Right now, we're restricted because we're imprisoned in these flesh bodies. And we have a conflict between the spirit and the flesh going on daily, sometimes hourly. And as we yield unto God and His Word, we can triumph over that conflict periodically. But there are times when we allow the flesh to win. And while we still may have a relationship with God, we lose that precious fellowship with Him. But at the end of the story, as God begins to create eternity and gives us a new and unending world, in this wonderful new place, we're going to hear that God is going to dwell with us. We will be with him tangibly, physically. We will be able to understand and see the glory of God because whenever God revealed himself in his glory in the Old Testament, he told the people to veil your face and look away. Because in our human form, we would short out. We can't handle the immense glory of God in our physical form. That's why Moses, when he ascended the mountain, could only see, as the Bible says, the wake of God or the backside of God or the, the effect of God's glory. He could not, and even then, he glowed with it after he had met with him. But when we get into eternity, we will fellowship with God forever. There will never be a distraction. There will never be an interruption. And God will be with us forever. And we will have literal community with him. That's what John is telling us. He is going to tabernacle with us. He's going to dwell with us and we with him. So there will be a new and eternal community with God. Do you ever feel abandoned by God? Be honest. You ever feel like as you're going through life and things are going south and you're struggling, God, where are you? Have you ever asked that? Yes, you have. Thank you. Have you ever wondered where God is? Why is this happening? God, do you still care? I, I spoke to one of my professors at school and he said for a time he was actually somebody who believed that, yes, there is a God, but he doesn't care. And we looked at him and said, really? He said, it wasn't until I really delved into the reality of Christ's resurrection that I had my faith fully restored. That God would love us so much to send his son to die and then to rise. God does care. But again, our sin, our flesh, our distraction tends to separate us from understanding that. And we fret, we moan. I'm guilty, I know you are too. But when we get to be in heaven eternity with him, we'll be with him forever. Amen. Not only a new and eternal community with God, but there'll be a new and eternal consolation from God. As we continue reading, 
says he will tabernacle with them and they shall be his God and, 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 and we will be his people. Look at verse four. And I love this. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. As Aaron mentioned earlier, all those things that we, we fight with and struggle with, all the heartbreak of our lives, as we think, as, as we go through life, the loss. And I had one old pastor tell me, Mike, he said, life oftentimes is a series of losses in this world. And we grieve. We grieve not only when we lose a loved one or friend, but we grieve when we lose a dream. We grieve when we lose a precious item. We grieve when we lose a friendship. We grieve when we lose a cherished job. And it seems like more often than not, those things roll in. As I speak to you right now, my mother's struggling to hang on to life. And uh, it's difficult to lose people that you love. I know she's going to be with the Lord, and I take solace in that. As I've been at this church for over 30 years, I've fallen in love with this church family. And I've gotten to know wonderful men and women of Christ. And I've got to marry their children, celebrate their birthdays, rejoice in their retirement, and then grieve for them at their graveside. We've all known that kind of grief. We've known physical strife, health issues. We've all gone through something or will go through something or just getting through going through it. Cancer, heart trouble, COVID, the flu, aging. We sorrow and weep over that. We struggle with financial issues, losing a job, bills we can't afford, family crises, rebellious children, angry parents, friendships are betrayed. We go through the litany of sorrow and sadness. And there are days when we sneak off into our corner and we weep. And if we're not weeping outwardly, the tears are flowing inwardly. But when we come to the rest of the story, it says in that unending world, he will dry every tear from our eyes. So no matter what you're dealing with, no matter what you're going through right now, if you know Christ as Savior, this is but a vapor, a temporary thing. Because one day he's going to restore all that is good and put down all that is painful and bad. And yes, there will be a bit of weeping and wailing in heaven as we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, even believers. We talked about this in Sunday school this morning in my class. When God evaluates our life as believers and judges us and demonstrates to us the opportunities that we missed, the fellowship that we lost out on. We don't have time to unpack that in that message, but there will be sorrow and loss and sadness. But he says he will wipe every tear from our eyes. Did you hear that? He will wipe every tear from our eyes. Notice he goes on to say there should be no more death. No more death. Again, it's difficult to lose people we love. It's difficult to be separated from them. It's also, even if, even if you know Christ as Savior, the, the, the fact that one day, if, if Christ tarries, we will all experience death. And yes, I know I'm going to heaven. I know I'm going to be with Him in eternity. But the process of dying does not thrill me. I don't know about you. I'm, somebody said, Pastor, are you afraid of death? No. Dying, I'm not excited about. But Jesus here tells us there will be no more death. There'll be no more sorrow, no more crying. There will be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. Again, as Aaron mentioned, you take an inventory of all the difficulty, struggles, pain, grief, sorrow, sadness, and one day it's going to be gone. We will not age in heaven. 
We will not get sick in heaven. We will not say the words goodbye when we get into eternity. There will be no pain. And there will be no sorrow. Why? Because God will provide a new eternal consolation. There will be eternal healing and health. First John tells us that we will be like Christ. We will have new and glorified bodies like Christ. Oh, I know we struggle to get them now. I know, oh, I can't have that, that piece of cake. I walked my mile this morning. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be honest with you. I like cake better than I do exercise. Amen? <laughs> I tell you about exercise that I don't like. Go for a walk. Where am I going? Just go walk. Where am I going to? What's the end of the walk? Oh, you'll feel better. I normally don't. <laughs> Get on a Peloton. A Peloton. Where you ride a bicycle that goes nowhere. But you're watching a screen of a perfectly built human being yelling at you. I got perfect human beings yelling at me all the time. No, we need to take care of ourselves because as we live today, our bodies are in fact the temple of God. But one day, listen, we will have a new and glorious body. Just like Christ. That will never get sick, never get old, never feel pain, never weep. A new and eternal consolation from God. And we will have a new, eternal, eternal community with God. That's what John hears. What else does John hear? Well, not only the words of an angel, but now specifically the Bible says he hears the words of the one on the throne, which throughout Revelation we understand that to be Christ himself. As we continue in verse 5, it says, Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, here it is again, I make all things new. Jesus himself said, I make all things new. As a matter of fact, when you got saved, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that we pass from death unto life. That he makes all things new. The word things in that passage in Corinthians is conditions. Where once we were hell bound, now we're heaven bound. Where once we were separated from God, now we're in relationship with God. Where once we were cast off, now we're brought near. When you got saved, you already began to experience and are experiencing new things. And just as Aaron said, we need to make sure we focus on that new relationship. Our new position in Christ. Our new hope and anticipation of an ultimate new home. But one day, all the newness is going to really be, I make all things new now. New heavens and a new earth. And then he said to me, write... For these words are true and faithful. This is not some third party story handed down by somebody who had an experience. This is the word of God and from the lips of Christ himself. I don't buy all of those near death experiences. Some people say, have you saw that book about so and so who said they went to heaven? I've seen them. I don't read them. I don't need to. I don't need to find comfort in somebody else's perhaps imagined experience. I have enough comfort in the truth, the Word of God. I've got an eyewitness to heaven right here. Not only that, but he brings the Word to us of Jesus himself. He told him, write these things, for they are true and faithful. He goes on to say this. He said to me, it is done. We talk about the end of the story. This is it. The words of Christ bring ultimate fulfillment. On the cross, Jesus said, it is finished, paid in full. Tostelestai in the Greek. It is finished. When he died on the cross, he took the blame for all humanity's sin, past, present, and future. He took the blame for it, paid for it, died, was buried, and rose again to prove that he had the victory over it. So now anybody who wants to can come to know Christ as his or her personal Savior. Yet we still live in this world, this confusing Struggle of a world. We still live here, but one day he is going to finally finish it all. 
And yes, from chapter 6 all the way to chapter 20, it has been a roller coaster. We've had, what, seven seals, judgments coming, rolling one after another. Then from the seventh seal unfolded the seven trumpets of judgment. And that was even worse. And from the seventh trumpet came the, the bowls of the seven vials of the ultimate wrath of God poured on the world. Man, it's been a roller coaster. It has been rough. It has been difficult. Jesus came back while the world was in conflict and he established his kingdom. Then at the end of that kingdom, there was one more rebellion and now eternity. The world is going to be recreated from the havoc caused by sin and humanity. And it's going to be a world to give God glory and we're going to be in it. And he said, it's done. This is the end of the story. This is the end of the tale. We're going to look at some more details here in the next few weeks. But it is done. It is done. The ultimate fulfillment of all of life, of all the promises of God, of all the hopes of his people, it is done. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, which are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. It would be like saying in English, I am the A and the Z. I am it. I am everything. People talk about, oh, heaven's going to be great because Aunt Flora will be there. Heaven's going to be great because of this. There's an old joke of a guy laying in the hospital bed. And he's laying there and he's had a deathly disease and he's struggling and the doctors are trying to figure it out. And next thing you know, he opens his eyes and there's his buddy who passed away a year earlier, standing at his bed. And the guy looked at him in the bed and he said, hey, Ralph. And the guy said, hey, Floyd, what are you doing here? He said, I wanted to tell you about heaven. He said, what about it? Is it great? He said, yeah, it's great. And then, and then Floyd said, is there going to be football there? He said, yeah, there's going to be football there. He said, I've got good news and bad news for you, as a matter of fact. What is that? Well, we play football all the time in heaven. Really? That's the good news. What's the bad news? You're playing quarterback tomorrow. Some of y'all are going to go in the car. Oh, yeah, I get it. And we wonder what heaven is going to be like. It is done. He is everything. We won't have to worry about who's going to be there because Christ is going to be there. Heaven isn't going to be heaven because of our relatives that are there. Heaven isn't going to be heaven because of our pets that we want to be there. Heaven isn't going to be heaven because it has no sea or has a sea or anything like that. I'll tell you what makes heaven heaven is that Jesus is going to be there. Everything else gets pushed aside. I am the Alpha and the Omega, which means I'm all you need. I'm everything. The beginning and the end. The ultimate fulfillment. He says, I will, notice as he continues, I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely. Salvation costs us nothing. There's nothing you and I could do to earn salvation or to help God procure salvation for us. I get amazed that people say, Pastor, you believe in easy believism. You better, be you better know I do. I don't know what hard believing believism would be anyway. But there's nothing I can do. He gives the water of life freely. Gives freely to all who thirsts. Notice he says in verse 7, He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son, or more in the vernacular, my child. What is an over, who, who is he who overcomes? What does it mean to overcome? Well, in 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 4, it says, for, what are, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Here's the question. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. If you know Christ as your Savior, if you've trusted him, you have overcome and this is talking about you. Who is he who overcomes the world? Those who trust Christ as their personal Savior. It says, He shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be 
my son. What, is, what does he mean by that? Well, that's the ultimate finish, by the way. The final estate of the saved, the final estate of those who overcome is that we will be with God and he will be with us. And we will live eternally with him forever in that state. That's the bottom line. And we overcome by trusting Christ, by believing him, placing our faith and confidence in him as our savior. That's the bottom line. There's unfortunately, though, on that positive note, there's also a negative aspect of that estate. It's the final estate of the saved, but what about the lost? Well, verse 8. But the cowardly, and that word cowardly speaks of the fact that Jesus viewed those who would reject him as cowardly. As a matter of fact, John 8.21 said, Jesus said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and will not find me and you will die in your sin where I go, you cannot come. They were afraid to receive him back then. They were afraid what the Pharisees and the Sadducees would think of them. Today, we're afraid to confess our faith in Christ oftentimes, or at least unbelievers are, because they're afraid of what their family will think of them. And so therefore, people oftentimes, because of cowardice, reject Christ, which is heartbreakingly sad. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Now, he's not saying that people who commit sin will be thrown into hell, but these are the characteristics of somebody who has not surrendered to Christ as their personal Savior. These are the people whose negative sinful characters will be known because of their lack of faith in Christ. See, when you receive Christ as your Savior, you, are, you believe on Him and in Him, and you are then wrapped in the righteousness of Christ. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, For He, God, has made Him, Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. That doesn't mean we don't sin, but when God looks at us, He sees us as justified. And the best way to identify that is just as if I'd never sinned. And the second death, of course, we talked about that before. If you're born once and you're never born again through Christ, you die twice. Separated from the body and then separated from God. But if you're born twice, physically born, spiritually born through faith in Christ, born again, then you only die once, separated from this body, but you go to be with the Lord forever. So that is the final, the final estate of the lost. So at the end of the story, those who know Christ as Savior, those who have trusted Him will live in eternity forever with God. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more death. New bodies, unending fellowship with God, unending community. It's going to be amazing. But sadly, the lost, those who deny Christ, they won't be there which should motivate us to go and bring as many people as we can to Christ. Because as we've said before, who do you know that you would want to be separated from Christ? Go talk to them. Do everything you can do to bring somebody to Jesus. Because that's the final estate of the lost. There is no second chance. There is no purgatory. There is no universal reconciliation that God is going to one day say, okay, never mind, and bring them all to heaven. It doesn't work that way. But he only left that as, again, another thought, go share the gospel. But as believers, we can rejoice. As believers, we can celebrate because, yes, there is an eternity. Heaven, and again, heaven is something that we can't imagine. As a matter of fact, I love what A.W. Tozer, the theologian, said. He said, I can safely say on the authority of all that is revealed in the word of God, and you'll know this when we get to the description in the next couple of weeks, that any man or woman on this earth who is bored and turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. And we define worship. I'm going to tell you something. When we get to heaven, it's not going to be like you think it is. It's not going to be quietly sitting on clouds and playing harps. As we get into the rest of Revelation 21, it's going to be something completely opposite. It's not going to be quiet and sweet. It's going to be loud and boisterous. It's going to be colorful. It's going to be amazing. We got a little glimpse back in chapters 4 and 5. 
But if you find attending worship boring, you're not going to like heaven. I have a whole sermon on that that you don't want to hear this morning. So Christ, through John, is introducing us to eternity. I encourage you to go read the next part of Revelation, the rest of Revelation, and get a preview. Because we ought to be focused on eternity. We ought to, we ought to not, not forget that heaven is our ultimate home. I hear people say all the time, well, he's too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. That's garbage. Some people are too earthly minded to be any heavenly good. Let's go back to C.S. Lewis as we finish it up. He said this. He said, all that is not eternal is eternally out of date. We talked about that in the meeting just before coming out here. You ever had a slug of bad milk that has gone out of date? That'll ruin your day. We talk about styles that are out of date. Let me tell you something. Everything that we encounter, experience, involve ourselves in, if it is not eternally focused is already out of date. West Concord Baptist Church, if we're not beating down doors to tell other people the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are out of date. We are spoiled. It's time for the church to be eternally focused again. Remember what Paul said, set our affections on things, what? Above, not on things on the earth. Let's close in prayer. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. As we take a moment to continue to reflect, first of all, do you know Christ as your personal Savior? There's no clearer way to find this out than to ask yourself, if you were to die right now, God forbid, but if you were to die right now, would you go to heaven and be immediately with him? Oh, pastor, nobody can know that for sure. Yeah, we can. It says in 1 John 5, 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have everlasting life. I know I'm going to heaven when I die. Because when I was a teenager, I received Christ as my Savior. I placed my faith in Him. I rejected my own ability to save myself. I cannot be good enough. I can't not be religious enough. I can't go to church enough. That's why Jesus died to take the blame for everything I've done wrong, everything you've done wrong, past, present, and future. Do you know, do you know that if you were to die right now, you would go to be with him in glory? If you don't, I beg you to go to him right now in the quietness of your heart and mind and admit your sinfulness. We all are. I am. You are. We all are. Understanding that you can't save yourself because of that sinfulness. You can't do it through your... It requires somebody to come outside from above. And that's what Jesus did. And he took the blame for your sinfulness and mine. He died on the cross and he was buried three days later. He rose again from the dead and invites all who, who want to, to come to him. For God so loved the world, that's you, that he gave his only begotten son, that's Jesus. That whosoever, that's anybody, that's you, would believe and trust in him. God would give them everlasting life. Would you trust in him right now if you've never done that? Here's the thing. God has prepared eternity for those who know him. He's gone. Jesus Christ, when he ascended into heaven, went to build the beautiful new Jerusalem that we're going to look at next time. Creating rooms and mansions that we can dwell in for all eternity, perfect and with God. Do you know Christ? Trust him if you've never trusted him. But my brother and sister, yes, life is hard. Life is difficult and it's a struggle. And there are days that it seems like it's not even worth getting out of bed. And then we wonder, where is God? What's going on? Well, I want you to know he is with you. He's walking with you, but you need to yield to him and walk with him so that you can sense his presence. Get in the word. Get on your knees. Walk with him. Yield to him. And yes, even then, that's a struggle. But one day, one day, we will be with him for all eternity. New and glorious bodies. No more death. No more sorrow. He will dry every tear. Heal every disease. Raise every spirit. And all that is wrong, as Aaron said, will be made right. All that is bad will be good. And all that is lost will be found. 
rejoice in that today. And again, he puts that last little thing in there about the lost. Is there anybody you know that doesn't know Jesus that you would want them to spend an eternity away from that? Decide in your heart now that you will seek them out. Stand together with me as we pray. Father, thank you for the privilege that you've given me to be able to stand at your sacred desk this morning and share your word. I pray that through the stammerings and stumblings of this preacher, Father, people have heard your message. And Father, I think, Father, I know that you so desperately love us. You've prepared us such a wonderful place to be with you. How often I forget and get distracted by this grimy, gritty world. I pray, Lord, that you'll help me to be focused on eternity. I pray that everyone in the sound of my voice, whether here in person or online, I pray that they would have trusted Christ as their Savior so that they will spend eternity with me and with you in heaven. And Father, I pray that again, as I've prayed before at every service in the last few weeks, that you would break our hearts for those who don't know this wonderful truth, that don't have this confident anticipation of an amazing eternity. Oh, Father, break our hearts. Help us to be bold and strong and loving to people who don't know Christ so that we might rejoice and spend eternity with them as we gather at your nail-scarred feet forever and ever. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.